Welcome to the CRISPR revolution. This is CRISPR Cuts, a podcast dedicated to the world of genome engineering. Take a break and join us as we guide conversations with an expert CRISPR cast about this cutting edge science. Welcome to CRISPR Cuts. Our guest today is Rebecca Shapiro. She's an assistant professor at the University of Gulf in Canada, and she is running her own lab. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Pleasure. So Rebecca gave an amazing talk at the CRISPR 2019 conference, and that's when I knew that we absolutely need to bring some of this fungi knowledge on our CRISPR Cuts podcast. But before we get into that, Rebecca, can you tell us about your educational background and how you got to your position now? Absolutely. So my background is mostly in microbiology. I did an undergraduate degree at McGill University here in Canada in Montreal, and then my PhD at the University of Toronto with Dr. Leah Cowan. She's really a leading expert in fungal pathogens and fungal pathogenesis, which is the topic of my research. And so that's during my PhD is where I really kind of developed that interest and knowledge in working in fungal pathogens and their mechanisms of disease. And after finishing my PhD, I moved down to the US, to Boston, to pursue uh, postdoctoral training with Jim Collins, who at the time was at Boston University. And then we moved over to MIT and the Broad Institute, which is where I did most of my research as part of my postdoc. And Jim is really kind of a leading expert in synthetic biology, systems biology, and that's where I started working on CRISPR. And then sort of kind of integrating the two of fungal biology, fungal pathogenesis and genetics, and CRISPR technologies. I've heard about a lot of CRISPR talks using many different model organisms, ranging from mammals and complex animals, and then of course bacteria, yeast. And then your topic struck me in particular because I have heard very few talks in, or very few research projects about CRISPR and fungi. Is it difficult for some reason to use CRISPR and fungi, or is it just not that common? I think with any organism, when you're developing new systems, there are always kind of initial difficulties. I don't think that it is kind of inherently more difficult, but I do think that fungi, and I think I mean kind of primarily fungal pathogens, because obviously there's Saccharomyces fungus, which is incredibly well studied, but a lot of of non-Saccharomyces cervicii organisms in the kingdom of fungi tend to be quite understudied compared to other pathogens, for instance, so compared to maybe bacterial pathogens or some parasitic organisms, fungi tend to not have quite as much research devoted to them. So I think that's kind of where some of the challenges come in, less so than the kind of technology itself, but that's why we're kind of excited to be working on developing some of these new technologies in these organisms that don't tend to always be kind of at the forefront of research. And we're certainly not the only ones. I mean, there is now quite a strong community of more technology building and CRISPR applications in a lot of diverse fungal pathogens, which is really exciting. So on the flip side, you just mentioned maybe a few of the challenges, but importantly, that there are a lot of applications, important ones being in pathogenesis. Are there other applications as well, which maybe just don't come to the mind because we haven't thought about it as much. So maybe you could elaborate on one or two of your favorite projects that you're doing using CRISPR and fungi. Yeah, so in my new lab, so I started here at the University of Guelph about a year and a half ago, exactly. 
And like I said, we were sort of kind of bridging the two worlds from my training. So focusing on fungal pathogens, mostly fungal pathogens of humans, but also starting to kind of delve into the world of fungal pathogens of plants and then integrating that with CRISPR. So I see our lab as sort of being at the interface of these two things. And a lot of the projects in the group focus on more of the technology development side of things. So, you know, we have kind of some basic CRISPR tools for doing genome editing in some of these fungal pathogens, but how can we develop new different versions of these CRISPR tools that have different types of functionality? And then kind of secondly, how can we actually apply this to study fungal pathogens? So on the technology development side of things, one of the first research projects to come out of my new lab, which I was fairly excited about, was developing a CRISPR interference or a CRISPR-I system for genetic repression in candida pathogens, which are very common human-associated fungal pathogens. Mm -hmm. And this was exciting for us because, like I said, kind of CRISPR technologies have now really been developed in a lot of different fungal pathogens, a lot of different species, but CRISPR-I repression system actually hadn't yet been applied in any fungi other than Saccharomyces. So we were really excited to kind of get this system up and running and working in at least kind of a few of the fungal pathogens that we work with in our lab and are hoping to expand this to other organisms as well. And we're excited about this because it allows us to look, without kind of having to modify the genome directly, allows us to repress or knock down function of a gene, which allows us to study the function of essential genes because we're not deleting them or otherwise kind of obliterating their function. We're actually just kind of tuning down the level of expression, which can be very powerful. So that's sort of on some of the kind of technology development side of it. And there's other systems that we're kind of in the midst of developing now as well, some of the in collaboration with other groups. And then on the application, we're interested in lots of different questions surrounding how fungi cause disease. Some of the questions that we're asking have to do with antifungal drug resistance. So we're using CRISPR systems to create large libraries of mutant strains that have different genes deleted singly or in combinations to look at genetic interactions and looking at how some of these specific interactions affect sensitivity to antifungal drugs. So those are kind of some of our big picture projects ongoing right now. That sounds really interesting. And then if I remember correctly, you had also mentioned something about gene drives in fungi, right? Is that something that you are actively working on or could you tell us a little bit about those type of projects which would include gene drives? Yeah, definitely. And so the gene drive project was something that began during my postdoc work in Jim's lab and is definitely something that we're continuing now. Gene drives have kind of get a lot of publicity in organisms like mosquitoes where people talk about creating this system, gene drive, which acts as a sort of selfish genetic element and continually propagates itself. So it will turn any heterozygous mutation into a homozygous mutation and even through the process of mating and reproduction it will continually propagate itself infinitely essentially so it's a way of kind of ensuring the existence of this particular gene or this particular mutation in a population so again this is often referred to in the context of making genetically modified organisms like mosquitoes that have a certain desirable trait and releasing them into the wild so that these gene drive traits kind of propagate throughout the entire population and sort of take over. 
We use a similar technology, but are thinking about the application quite differently, mostly because one of the pathogens we work with commonly in the lab, like I said, is Candida and Candida albicans in particular, which is the most common human fungal pathogen. And it's a diploid. So working with it in the lab comes with some intrinsic difficulties, because if you want to look at the function of a gene and knock it out, you have to knock out both copies of that gene. And if you wanted to look at two genes and how they interact, you'd have to knock out both copies of gene A and then both copies of gene B, which is four rounds essentially of creating these genetic mutations, which can be really quite laborious. And so the idea with the CRISPR gene drive here was to create a system where we could have kind of a CRISPR knockout system that would self-propagate. So the idea was that we could take Candida cells that were in the haploid form, transform them with these CRISPR gene drives to knock out specific genes of interest and mate them together. And while normally mating a haploid with one gene deleted to a haploid with a different gene deleted, the typical outcome would be a diploid that is actually heterozygous at those two loci. Mm -hmm. By using gene drive technology, we actually allows us to very rapidly generate a diploid cell that is a homozygous deletion at both of these loci of interest. So we create this double deletion mutant very simply in a diploid form by using this gene drive system. So we think about it more as kind of a technology rather than in other systems where it kind of has more of a direct application. But by building this technology is allowing us to build up these large libraries of single and double gene deletions, which allow us to do kind of large scale genetic interaction analysis in some of these fungal pathogens like Candida albicans, which is something that would have been very, very difficult to do technology wise prior to this. I see. That's a very interesting point, though, because even when I have heard of gene drives, I have mostly only heard of them in terms of like, as you said, mosquitoes to get rid of malarial parasites and then maybe for ticks, which infect mice. And so always in kind of a cleanup way. So this is an interesting angle to just say that it's still a technology, so you can use it in different ways. So, yeah, thanks for elaborating on that. One more interesting thing that you spoke about was biofilms and I had initially or at least to my knowledge I'd mostly heard of bacterial biofilms and then how they are generally a nuisance in most of the industries. So can you talk a little bit about fungal biofilms and your work on that? Definitely. Yeah, kind of similar to a lot of fungal infectious disease, um, it does again kind of tend to draw less attention than some more common bacterial pathogens, but fungi similar to bacteria form very difficult to treat biofilms. Actually, commonly fungi will actually form biofilms also in conjunction with bacterial pathogens. So you'll get this kind of interesting interspecies biofilms that will have candida fungi, for instance, as well as bacteria and very similar to bacterial biofilms also you know they kind of adhere to surfaces they're often found associated with medical devices like catheters or stents and again similar to bacterial biofilms are very 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 difficult to treat so there are these really dense networks of cells they're encapsulated in this extracellular matrix that makes it difficult for antimicrobials to penetrate so clinically it's really quite a large problem and presents very similar to what we hear about with bacterial biofilms and candida pathogens again one of the organisms we work with a lot in the lab is notorious for forming these 
very kind of robustly adhesive biofilms. And this is one of the topics that we've been interested in in the lab. And this was also applied using our CRISPR gene drive technology, where, like I mentioned, we can use the gene drive to really create these kind of large scale libraries of genetic mutations where we can target genes, not just singly, but also in these larger combinations. And that allows us to look at a lot of genetic redundancy. So what occurs when we knock out just this one factor, but maybe these two factors in combination or even higher order than that. And the reason this tied in with biofilms is one of the kind of main virulence characteristics of candida that makes it very good at forming biofilms is the fact that it produces these adhesin proteins on its cell surface that allow it to adhere to different substrates. And candida produces many, many, many different adhesins on its cell surface. And we figured this was a good opportunity using our gene drive to study what is likely a lot of redundancy between these factors. So we used our CRISPR gene drive to make these genetic interaction libraries where we delete combinations of adhesins and kind of all possible permutations and look at how that then interferes with the ability of the fungus to form biofilms on different surfaces. And kind of sure enough, what we find is there is in fact a lot of redundancy and often just singly knocking out any one of these adhesins will allow others to compensate and will still allow for quite robust biofilm growth. But there's a lot of combinations of adhesin factors that when you delete them together in combination, significantly impair the ability of the fungus to form a biofilm. So we think this sort of gives us some interesting insight into some of these genetic redundancies and genetic interactions involved in some of these really complex pathogenesis processes. That's a very interesting approach. And you have actually elaborated on so many of your amazing projects. I'm curious to know which direction are you heading in the future or what are your, say, long-term plans with all or maybe particularly few of these projects? Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think we're kind of moving forward on all sorts of fronts. So I talked about kind of technology building, and that's something that we're continuing to do. So I talked about developing like the CRISPR interference system. And in parallel, we're developing a CRISPR overexpression system, as well as kind of other CRISPR-based platforms, but that allow for different types of gene editing or different types of outcomes. So really kind of trying to build up that technology within the world of fungal pathogens, of course. I mentioned also kind of branching into applications into different types of pathogens. So Candida, Albicans has been kind of a main focus. We're starting to work on some more recently emerging Candida pathogens, as well as some plant-associated pathogens. So we've got projects in the lab now focused on Fusarium, which is a very common plant-associated fungal pathogen. And a lot of what we're doing now is kind of taking even some of the existing technologies that we have and building them up to a much larger scale. So when we developed the CRISPR interference system, we kind of published this work showing as a proof of principle that, you know, it can work. And now we're really working to show that not only can we knock down genes, but we can actually create large scale libraries that will allow us to perturb or knock down function of genes on, you know, a genome-wide scale or a much larger scale. And then using this to tackle some of the questions that we've been asking in the lab about antifungal drug resistance, about biofilm growth, kind of things in that realm. That all sounds amazing and really exciting. So I hope we get to see a lot of your work in the next few years. So Rebecca, we always end on a fun question and I have a good one for you. So which type of fungus 
would you be if you had to choose one and why? Oh boy. Oh, that's such a tricky one. <laughs> um, actually, I'm going to be teaching a mycology class on fungus starting in the fall semester. So I've actually been learning a lot myself about all sorts of fungi that some of which I really didn't know anything about. You know, it's hard to beat Saccharomyces cerevisiae because it's so incredibly well studied, but also such a robust and diverse organism involved in you know, fermentation and it makes bread and beer and wine and like all the best things in life really. So in our lab, we focus so much on pathogens, which are of course interesting and medically relevant, but maybe not what you want to be. Exactly. Right. <laughs> so Saccharomyces cerevisiae is a good one. I'm reading a paper right now about Saccharomyces boulardii, which is a very close relative of Saccharomyces cerevisiae, but it actually has a lot of probiotic activity. So it seems to have kind of activity that allows it to have antimicrobial properties against some pathogens like cholera, for instance, and is used commonly and sold in stores as a probiotic yeast, which I think is pretty cool too. So maybe something in that realm. <laughs> okay, perfect. Yeah. So we got to learn a lot too from your description. So that's great. All right. Thank you so much for joining us today, Rebecca. This has been really a great and fun episode. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to CRISPR Cuts. I invite you to check out the Synthigo blog, The Bench, for more great CRISPR content. Please send us any feedback you have by contacting us on Twitter. And if you want to join in as a guest on our podcast, email us at crispercuts at synthigo.com. CRISPR Cuts is a scientific podcast by Synthigo, produced by Kevin, Minu, and me, Bobby. Additional production by Resonate Recordings. Our cover art is by Jeff Merrick. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon.